0: Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory.
1: Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the higher summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text forecast to 603 356. Two, one, three, seven. All right, and we are back. This is the forecast for Friday, July 14th, and Saturday, July 15th. Uh, Unfortunately, it's another uh, pattern that's going to be uh, including rain, thunderstorms, and fog expected over the higher summits. And um, this is the big Fundraiser for the Mount Washington Observatory this weekend, Seek the Peak. So fortunately, there looks like there will be some clearing uh, Saturday morning, but the um, Higher Summits forecast is telling us to be ready for some uh, wet conditions and the threat of thunderstorms. But uh, hopefully it'll be a great weekend for everybody coming out for that great event. So Friday, in the clear trending towards mostly in the clouds under partly sunny skies, a chance of rain showers through the day, and a slight chance of thunderstorms in the afternoon. High in the upper 50s, with winds southwest at 20 to 35 miles per hour, with gusts up to 45 miles per hour, decreasing to 15 to 30 miles per hour. Friday night, mostly in the clouds, trending towards clearing under partly cloudy skies, A chance of rain showers and thunderstorms in the evening. Lows in the 50s, winds southwest at 15 to 30 miles per hour, with gusts up to 40 miles per hour. And then Saturday, in the clear, trending towards mostly in the clouds under partly sunny skies, with a chance of rain showers. A slight chance of thunderstorms in the afternoon. Again, highs in the upper 50s, with winds southwest at 15 to 30 miles per hour. In the morning, and 25 to 40 miles per hour midday and 15 to 30 miles per hour later in the afternoon. All righty, have fun.
0: From the Woodpecker studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump.
1: Oh, it's Stubby. He's back. Welcome back, Stubbs. <laughs> back. We
2: got a whole we got a whole crew. How you doing, Davey? How you doing? Welcome, welcome. Good. No problem. And then we got Steve, Steve from Reckless Hispanic Soul House. We got a whole crowd
3: here. Pleasure, boys.
2: Welcome to episode 113 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we are back from vacation and joined by Davey Edwards of the Open Doors Outdoors organization. This is a great organization that serves veterans, their families, and young people by taking them into the outdoors for reconnection, healthy activity, and healing. Davey and his organization are hosting hikes in the White Mountains throughout the year, so we're going to talk to him about how you can get involved and support them if interested. We also have Steve from Reckless back for another round of visit. At this point, Steve has the honor of being our most frequent guest. So we'll have some beer updates, and he has been off backpacking a lot lately, so he can give us some recent trip reports. All this plus the Rainbow Family Gathering, Woman Punches a Beer, Lodge to Dodge is back, Stomp has a Tech Update. Recent hikes on Kearsarge North, Morgan and Percival, and Pequot Mountains, and search and rescue is blowing up. We've got rescues on Gill River Trail, the Belknaps, Mount Jackson, Beaver Brook, and a variety of other stories to share with you. So, Slasher's back from break. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. So, Stomp, I wanted to ask you a question. Yeah. When you were out. Bushwhack. I want to ask you a scenario on how you would handle this. So if you were out bushwhacking on your own and you stumbled across, if you were like nowhere near a trail and then you stumbled across a campsite that had like a tent sitting there and it looked like people had been around, but there was no activity. Yeah. Would you snoop around if like, say the tent was zipped up, would you like snoop around and see
1: what's going no. on? No. And I think we've talked about a you similar wouldn't. story when I was bushwhacking, but I would stay off way well away just in case there was something going on in the tent shenanigans or whatever
2: so you wouldn't you wouldn't even like check on the tent just no. to see like if
1: anything not, weird was not not in today's age unfortunately um <laughs> you would you like just go around the edge and just be like hello hi anybody there i wouldn't even do that if i was bushwhacking i would just circumvent you would walk around
2: Interesting.
1: Well, the reason I ask is that there was a news story
2: that you actually sent over. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it specifically, but three fairly mummified bodies were found near a remote Rocky Mountain campsite. So apparently somebody was out hiking in this remote area in Colorado and a hiker basically stumbled upon this campsite, went into a tent and found... Um, I guess, actually, I guess he found the body that was located outside the tent and then reported it to authorities. Authorities went to the site and uh, found two additional bodies zipped up inside the tent. So it looks like these might have been like, um, you know, survivalists or something like that. They were. Uh, mummified bodies that it indicated that they had been at this location for a while, maybe over a year. Oh, and uh, there was like a lean to that they had been building and, and all kinds of other stuff in the site. So it's pretty wild.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. So let's flip it. So what would you do if you came across a dead body sitting in a chair in a tent?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I always go with like the world. Uh, like for me, I would immediately stumble on that and I would be like, there's a dead body in here and I need to investigate. Really?
1: So,
2: uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm a busy body. So I'd I would run like poke hell. around.
1: Oh, man. I'd yeah. be like, get me no, out of so here. I would probably poke around and see what's going on.
2: I'd probably yell and say, like, is anybody there? And then I would look in the tent.
1: Yeah. I think, okay. anyway. Reasonable. So, all right.
2: Geez, you're, you're a big wimp, Stomp. I thought you, I thought you'd be braver than that. I'm a complete wimp. All right. Well. <laughs> anyway. Well. So I, I got a big, I got big plans for the weekend, Stomp. Have you looked at the weather report? It looks like Saturday in the high summits is looking better based on on the report.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm going backpacking actually with uh, my cousin, so that should be fun. We've been praying that it's going to be really nice. So I, I've been watching it like a hawk it looks like it's clearing up maybe some thunderstorm activity in the afternoons uh getting worse into sunday but i think we might be okay for an overnight why what you got planned
2: uh presidential traverse so oh we're nice. locked
1: in on sunday
2: so nice. that's not looking great right now but we'll see
1: okay no way to shift to saturday
2: possibly possibly i got to talk to my sister-in-law and figure it out um but where are you camping possible
1: we're camping up on the um, grand traverse somewhere okay so that's that's that stretch between welch dickey and uh tecumseh yeah we're gonna be up there
2: excellent well yeah think of i'll call you if i get in trouble on the traverse okay (laughs) i'll have service (laughs) that's for sure yeah exactly all right. Well, I got another question for you. So this again talks about like sort of risk reward. So I had yeah. a thing, I did this thing when I was on vacation stomp and I put my family at risk. So I was curious from your perspective, like how much risk reward are you willing to put your family in?
1: Um, Jeez, these days, probably very little, to be honest with you. Really? If you can give me a nice casual yeah. hike within a little view, I'm happy beyond that. Probably not, not much more. Um, you yeah. could probably twist my arm, make me go ziplining or something, but that's about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, while I was
1: away, I had this,
2: like, and I ask you, you guys can give your opinion on this and Davey and Steven, you can jump in on this. So I was on vacation down in the Caribbean on this Island. It's generally a pretty safe Island, but like there's this section of the Island in the Southeast portion where you have to drive out in like a, je- you basically can only get out there in a Jeep. It's like a dirt road. It's really like probably about eight miles away from anything that's related to civilization. And it's it's known as like Split Rock. And you go out there and it's like this like basically beautiful uh, deserted beach area. But the problem with this place is that every once in a while, like tourists will go out there and locals will set up basically like a robbery situation where they'll, you know, the tourists will go, you park your Jeep at the end of this road and then you go out onto this beach and you just hang out and swim and you can literally walk out in probably about a half a mile before you even get up to your shoulders. So I was reading about this and I was trying to think about like, you know, what can we do that's an epic day for the the family? Uh, But the problem is I read about these robberies that can happen. And I was kind of like, do I do this or do I not do this? Do I tell my family about the risk or do I not tell them about the risk? So me being who I am, I decided I was like, you know what, we're just going to go for it. And then if somebody robs us, like I can fight the robbers off and tell the kids and my wife to like run away. And I'll just like take, I'll take on the robbers all by myself. So we ended up going out to this place <laughs> and it's like, it's literally like the most gorgeous each that you could ever imagine. Now, I didn't tell my wife or my kids about the risk. I just said like, oh, we're going to do this nice excursion. And uh, we go out there. So sure enough, we go down this road. It's like eight miles long. Get to the end of this dirt road. Like the road doesn't even end. The road just ends in this cliff. And I'll send you some pictures, Stomp. And then all, basically, you're just overlooking this beautiful little beach. You walk down these steps of of, um, rock and you're in this beach area that is like maybe like a mile wide beach that you can just swim in or whatever. So we go, we're exploring like the whole time. My neck is on a swivel. I'm like looking for the robbers and my kids and my wife are completely oblivious. They don't know any, any of the risk or all that. So they ended up like exploring all over the beach or whatever. And then I'm spending the whole time basically looking out for robbers that I'm going to have to fight off. <laughs> um, but it turned out that there were no <laughs> robbers. Um, luckily, But it was a funny trip because I was like super paranoid the whole time. And my kids and my wife had like the greatest time ever.
1: (laughs) Great. (laughs) Nice story. I thought you were going to take us to uh, the boat where you did that gainer
4: (laughs) no
2: no that was a whole different uh yeah there was like an abandoned boat there too that we could jump off of but but I don't know if on reflection I feel like maybe it wasn't a good call and I'm not a good good dad and not a good husband but I don't know Davey you look like you're a guy that's been in some tough
4: spots what do you think yeah I would probably pass on that as well um unless I had you know unless I had someone there with me but just just me uh you know me against three or four guys I I'm uh I probably would just throw the keys and And, and, and run. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's it's crazy. They had some stories where essentially like, I think the last people they got robbed were out there with like their two little kids and they take everything. They took the rental car they took all of their jewelry, all their money, everything, and just literally left them for an eight mile walk down a dirt road in 90 degree weather.
3: It it sounds to me like even, even if you get lucky and don't get robbed, like happened to you, you, you might not enjoy yourself as much. True. You said you were stressed out the whole time. Really glad you made it back from the, the robbery beach. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was called, um, Pirate's
2: Cove or they called it split rock or whatever. Well named. Yeah. That was, it was a fun trip, but it was, um, that little piece of the trip was a little stressful, Mm -hmm. but anyway, now hopefully my, my wife won't listen to this and, and she's never going to trust me again.
1: Wow. Risky, risky, risky. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Um, Other things from vacation that I learned is now that my kids are getting older, I had this vision that, like, you know, they want to go jet skiing or whatever. They would be like, oh, you know, I make my own money now. I can pay for some of this stuff on my own, Dad. You get a break. Like, my kids have no, like, that doesn't even cross their mind. You know, if they want to do something, it's like, Dad, you're paying for everything.
1: It's natural, huh? So, I guess it just doesn't end. Too funny.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, next up on this stomp, I think moving on, we wanted to talk about the rainbow family. Did you, did you end up going to the,
1: uh, yeah, I actually joined, um, I'm part of, I'm part of the whole crew. (laughs) Steve, (laughs) You had me for a sec. Yes. Yes. I'm part of the rainbow family now. So I've got my, my uniform and, um, my, my chakra stones and I'm ready to go. (laughs) No, I really haven't heard much. Um, is there an update? I don't think there's an update. I think there's a
2: couple of things that happened, so I didn't end up going either. The day that I was thinking about potentially going up there when I got back, it was just raining and miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, What I've read is that they ended up setting up like a federal court, uh, like a temporary courthouse up there, and uh, they were essentially grabbing every single car That drove in and they were, you know, honestly, like half these people, like they don't have car registrations, (laughs) inspection stickers, all this stuff. So they had a lot of probable cause to pull people over. And as they were pulling people over, they were inspecting their cars and they ended up, um, I think getting a lot of people on different violations and they would just ship them right off to, I think the federal courthouse they had set up was in Berlin. So there's a lot of people getting pulled over and and taken into custody. Um, I did see a video of somebody driving down the road and it was about a mile and a half of just cars parked on the side of the road in muddy miserableness. So Mm -hmm. I think it was a lot quieter than people expected.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because it is federal land. So that's a nice workaround to make sure that everything stays uh, peaceful. Yeah,
2: but I guess uh, the the hardest of the hardcore sort of holdouts from, you know, those hippie days are still around, which I didn't realize they were at that volume.
1: No comment on that. (laughs) And by the way, I was just kidding about the Rainbow Family. (laughs) Just to clarify. (laughs)
2: Just in case anyone listens. All right, you want to talk about beers? Not the kind you drink, but the kind that uh have claws. Oh, this is a neat story. Yeah. This is a cool one. Yeah. Uh so you had pulled this one here. So this is a woman was bitten by a beer near the main New Hampshire border. Mm-hmm. Um, she apparently went into North Conway. She was hospitalized. She's got a good story here. So um she
1: This is a great story.
2: Yeah, so she was bitten by a bear Friday morning right across the border in Porter, Maine, which is over by where my father-in-law lives. Uh, Lynn Kelly said she was in her backyard around 11.30 a.m. when she heard a dog barking. She went to investigate. Um, If that was Stompy, would have ran away, given what we've learned about him this this evening. Um, She said the dog was being chased by a black bear. Um, She noticed that the dog ran off the deck and straight down to the front of the house. Next thing she knew, she heard the dog squealing, and like a good dog mom, she ran over to where uh, the dog had gone down and kept calling him, and um, finally the dog came running back. Right behind it was a bear. The bear looked at her, and she looked at the bear, and they scared each other. She said that she tried to look big and yell and scare the bear, but it didn't work. It kept coming Mm -hmm. towards her, so she punched it. We don't know if she gave it like a a jab or a
1: hook or what the deal is, but as she punched it, the bear bit her hand and wrist. That's all right. That's all right. She still did the right thing. This is my my hypothesis. You know, punch him in the snout and you should be okay. You know, I'm I'm assuming she's not a a trained boxer, so she did the right thing nonetheless.
2: (laughs) So Stomp. So so, now we're about, so Stomp has no problem punching a bear, but he will not like yell out to an uh, an empty campsite. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> or take his parent. Take his family to a
1: pirate beach. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, See if the my- difference is humans involved, <laughs> or dead human. Anyway, right. If
3: my dogs are in danger, I'm afraid of bears, but I'll punch a bear for my dog.
1: Yeah. For sure, and I don't think you're going to have much of a choice if a bear comes <laughs> jumping on you. It has in, in True. this case, it kept coming towards her. True. All right. Well,
2: in in um in the same thread of the story about the woman that got bitten or uh, that punched the bear and got bitten, um, there's a new study that came out that finds surprising data about North American black bear attacks on humans. So. A group of scientists out of Canada, and then I think there was some in Massachusetts as well, they've collected, uh, much like we collect search and rescue media reported events, they have collected for um, fatal bear attacks over the last 110 years, up to 2009. Uh, So there's been 59 fatal encounters with North American black bears in the last 110 years. So... 60 people or so. I think 62 people total had, had been killed. That's not many. 92% of the fatal attacks were by single male black bears. So you know how we always say like, oh, you never want to like approach a mother with cubs? That's actually so not, not the a... Case. Um, yeah, it's not the case. It's almost never a mother. You know, it's a, this idea that, oh, you get between the cubs and their mother, it actually never happens. It's almost always single male black bears that are stalking prey so um, if the, if you
1: see a bear that's basically that's cuz everybody's walking in front of a male bear <laughs> cuz everybody's guess, yeah. told
3: yeah no one knows it's dangerous exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly, but apparently
2: like if if they display defensive behavior like you know how they do those like fake chargers and they make a lot of noise, typically that means that the beer is not going to attack you. It's really situations where the beer's being quiet or they're just sort of coming out out of nowhere where you're gonna be in big trouble. <laughs> God, that's funny. <laughs> Um, they, the study found no examples of attacks on people that were hiking in groups or it were in groups. It was almost always attacks where it was one or two people. It makes sense. So if you have no friends and you're going out there hiking, like you've been in trouble.
1: Yeah. That goes to the largest <laughs> looking big, looking large. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They said that in Canada and Alaska, there's three point, there's three and a half times more attacks. Per capita, despite the the size of the bear populations not being much larger than in other areas, they theorize that um, because there are there are larger territories, that it's typical that bears might experience more food distress than they otherwise would, uh, because I guess they they basically just run out of food in their local area, and then they will they'll attack. So. What we've learned here is essentially like if you're hiking solo or with just one other person, it's a little bit more risky. If you are um, finding yourself near a male black bear in their territory, then that's typically where you're going to get in more trouble. The study does emphasize that there's like over a million interactions between humans and bears over the course of like this time period. So the the, uh, the chance of you actually getting killed by a bear is pretty slim. That's really interesting. Not what I expected. Yep. So, hmm. any next time somebody says like, oh, you've got to watch out for mothers with their cubs, Stomp, you can say,
4: actually,
2: <laughs> it's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Best
1: approach? Find a black male bear and hang out with them and you'll be fine. Man. True. No problem. True. They'll protect you. True. <laughs> all right. Um, so, Stomp,
2: you got to do this next one. Northern Alpine start submitted info on uh, lightning. So, you went rogue on us and did your your solo um, show, which was great because I, I, I needed something to listen to while I was flying home, which was fantastic. But what's going on with this app?
1: Well, yeah, he uh, sent this in and, uh, you know, he's a guide and said that he uses this all the time and... It's an app that is available for, I believe, for Android and uh, Apple. But it sends you push notifications regarding lightning strikes in your area. So you can program it to um, go off depending on your location. And the description here is it's the best app for monitoring lightning strikes all around the world and close to real time uh, modern design. You can watch thunderstorms and, uh, receive notifications. So that's really cool. So thank you for that submission and that information. Uh, we will provide the link in the show notes. Pretty cool though. Excellent.
2: Yeah. 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 That is pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, what is not cool is that, uh, tourists are still doing dumb things in Yellowstone.
1: <laughs> no surprise. So, <laughs> Stomp pulled this
2: article well, no. here and, um, Yeah, so Stump, you pulled this, but apparently somebody drove... Oh, here we go. So there's a, there's this Facebook page called Yellowstone Invasion of the Idiots. I got to, we got to find this. Part. I need to get this person on the show. <laughs> it's a popular Facebook page documenting tourists doing dumb things in Yellowstone. Uh, but uh, apparently the, the administrator of this page saw something on Sunday that even made her surprised. A tourist who left the road and drove her vehicle onto the beach of Yellowstone Lake where they immediately became stuck. So apparently this is a whole new level of stupid. It's against the law to be in there. And apparently the uh, the lady just, I guess, went off course and got lost. <laughs> how do you do that? How does that even happen? Stop,
1: you pulled that article. Do you have anything you want to say about it? I don't know. Well, I clearly think that uh, there is a new level of stupidity out there. <laughs> I'm not sure how there you is. do that. I really don't. I don't know either. Clearly signage and barriers and everything else, but I don't know. Who knows?
2: I'm not sure. It's crazy. Well, not only is there a new level of stupidity, there's also a new lodge-to-dodge finisher. So for people that aren't familiar with Mm. lodge-to-dodge, Stomp put together his own unique route across the White Mountains, which goes from the lodge on Mount Musalake to, to across all of the AMC huts and finishes at the Joe Dodge Lodge. So it's basically like an extended Mm. hut to hut. And even at this point right now, people are now referencing Lodge to Dodge as Stomp's Lodge to Dodge route on social media. So it's it's really taken off. And Michael Connolly on July 8th completed
1: this route. Yeah. Congratulations, Michael. He had a lot of support. Larson was out there. They did uh, the portion of the presidentials together. And uh, as you know, the weather's pretty wild last weekend. Um, but yeah, it is catching on. I, I don't know the time exactly, but um, I don't think it was sub-24 hours because of the heat and everything else. But uh, yeah, it's starting to catch on. Lodge to Dodge. Did you go to meet him at the
2: end? I feel like no, it's Lodge no, to Dodge unless you to
1: meet you were <laughs> <laughs> with the pom poms. <laughs> I feel like that's At like the, the, very end. End with the you know
2: how like who's the guy, the hiker Ed that meets all the like grid finishers. Hiker, do you know Ed. what
1: I'm talking about? Really? No, no. Steve, you know well, what I'm talking about, right? It, like though. when you finish the grid, no, I hiker heard. Ed.
3: No, I haven't heard of this.
1: Huh? Oh, he's yeah, the legend, the, though. He's done it a million times
2: yeah yeah he's like in charge of like the grid and then when you finish the grid I think he goes the big thing is like he'll go
1: and be there at the end so you should be that guy for Lodge to Dodge Stomp well that's cool I'll have to think about that two things about that Larson did direct uh, Michael to Joe Dodge Lodge to Touch the Lodge itself. So that's part of the tradition. You have to finish on that. But the route goes up to Carter Notch Hut and then up and over the Wildcats and then back to Joe Dodge Lodge. So it's I think it clocks in at 77 miles, if I remember correctly. Um, and what else on that? Oh, yeah. And then I think Sarita, Larson's spouse. Suggested that I give the lodge to dodge a try. <laughs> you totally should. I went, yeah. when I heard her I say agree. when I saw her write that, I'm like, oh my god, I would never be able to do that. And then she, you know they suggested how about tenting it or doing it in that manner. Huh. And I said, well, we'll see. And then that whole night, I couldn't get it out of my head. I really couldn't.
3: Well, yeah, is that part of the rules? Does it have to be done without no. sleeping?
1: No, no, but it should. It should be. Uh, a, a one torch nonstop attempt it, it, yeah it, it should be the same ethos as like a hut to hut okay but you know you can take a nap quick <laughs> nap on the way I think I could pull that off if I were to do it I would do it unsupported though I would pack everything in my pack if it takes me two or three days boom I'm good sleep on the ground for 20 minutes get up go again that's how oh, I would do it wow yeah so I don't know I'm, I'm contemplating it I, I think you should do it. I, I'm I'm trying to get in better shape, so maybe I can. Who knows? Maybe in the fall. Now wait a minute. With Sorry. this course, so explain this to me again. The Carter Hut thing. So you True. get
2: out to Carter Hut, and then do you climb back up Wildcat, and then go down Wildcat Ridge to get to Joe Dodge? Is that like the the final?
1: Correct. So you go up nineteen Mile Brook once you dump out yeah. of Osgood Trail and the Great Gulf, go to Carter Notch Hut. And then you have to ascend the Wildcats up and over all the Wildcats back down to uh, basically the Glen Boulder point, and then walk. So you got to go down Wildcat Ridge, then correct. And okay. then you—that's tough. And then you take that uh, a trail adjacent to Route 16 back to Pink Joe uh, Do yeah, Dodge. Yeah that, little, yeah, that little cutoff that takes you by that little pond there. Yeah, yeah. And at the beginning, it's it's the uh asquam ridge back to ravine lodge if you were doing it backwards so that would be a dodge to lodge which steve mason did the year after uh or a few months after i forget exactly but yeah pretty brutal course excellent storm
2: yeah. so keep us keep the keep the listeners updated on whether you decide to do that or not Davey. that might be a new route for you in your career <laughs> yeah.
1: Go for it. There's a fastest known time post up there and everything. So it exists in the system.
4: Uh, So check it out. No, it sounds sounds fantastic.
2: Yeah. Awesome. All right, Stomp. So Stomp's all excited. He found a new technology. He was texting me during the week and he was like, this is going to be a game changer. So I I spent about a minute looking at this, Stomp. So you're going to have to carry this piece of it.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. So um, basically you have all these new technologies and Garmin is using communication uh, in their devices now. So you can get a GPS, you can get a watch, whatever. Motorola has a new device called a Defy. And it's essentially a hotspot. It's a satellite hotspot that you use with your cell phone. So the big thing about it that I noticed was that the subscription plans are a lot cheaper than what Garmin and all these other, you know, companies are charging for you to use their GPS communication um methods. So the Motorola Defy, it's selling for 149 bucks. and that includes free messaging and satellite enabled SOS. And again, the the plan starts with a low of four ninety nine a month, which is pretty cheap. Um, you know, if you compare spot, the spot traces ninety nine dollars initially to purchase it with plans ranging from nine to fourteen dollars. And then there's the inreach uh brand which ranges? It, these are really expensive, like two ninety nine to four hundred bucks, and you're looking at a subscription of fourteen ninety five. So again, it's a little teeny hotspot. It's like a keychain, key ring, keychain, uh, two inches by an inch, and you use it in conjunction with your cell phone. So you're typing messages on your cell phone, and it's a link to the satellites. So what do you guys think? Yeah. I think it could be pretty useful.
3: That sounds like the winner. I mean, because that's a piece of equipment that I carry with me anyways is my cell phone.
1: And it works quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, you and I know how pathetic some of the like the handhelds are and everything else. I mean, satellite's the way to go. Right. But for somebody that's, say, uh, not so much an advanced backcountry or expert hiker, (laughs) it could be a great option.
2: Yeah, we used something similar to this. It wasn't a Motorola, but it was some similar product that my friend Tom used. And essentially, like it's it's basically connects to a satellite, and then you can text through your phone.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't think it's this cheap though. So basically, this Motorola Defy is one hundred and forty nine dollars, and then the, there's a entry level plan which is four ninety nine four dollars and ninety nine cents per month. Mm-hmm. So. That's pretty cheap. So it's almost like it's so cheap that it's just worth trying anyway.
1: Absolutely. So we just want to let you guys know it's out there. So do some research and check it out.
2: Yeah. And speaking of the Garmin stuff, um, we got a shout out by Taylor, the New Hampshire hiker, who is a pretty well-known YouTube hiker. So she has done the Appalachian Trail. I think she did it the year COVID kicked in, she had to get off trail. Then she did it last year. Um, and now she's on trail. She was on trail and she was up in Maine and she had to come off trail. She had, so thanks for the shout out, by the way, um, Taylor, we'll definitely get you on the show soon. We'll reach out and I think it'll be fun to talk to you. But she had a problem with, first of all, she was up in Maine, like during this crazy rain that happened right before the 4th of July. So she had to, um, Eventually get off trail, but she was, she was had a Garmin in reach that actually triggered an SOS and she was like, I don't even know if I touched this button or anything. She had had the thing like two years before and it had gotten covered with like bug spray or DEET and she was like, I don't even think this thing works. She went to go like turn it back on before her through hike and it was working. So she's like, all right, I'll just reuse it. And uh, so she thinks that maybe it was messed up because of the bug spray incident a couple of years ago, but she um, yeah, it triggered an SOS and she got a call from Garmin and she was saying like, she was like, it was raining out. It was crazy. She thought it was like a telemarketer. So she just hung up on the guy. (laughs) So they were initiating a search for her. Um, But I thought that was interesting that, you know, sometimes the Garmin's have weird things that happen to them. And she says it's not Garmin's fault. She's like, I beat the hell out of the thing. Uh, But it is interesting that the, this technology stuff, it's, it's good, but it also is not a hundred percent reliable.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
2: Very good. Um, and then speaking of the Appalachian Trail Stomp, the uh, Appalachian Trail Conservatory put out a um, high water alert update. And this basically has all of the information around high water in Maine, Vermont, in new york so uh there's an alert about beer mountain in new york that was impassable there's like probably five or six crossings of the at in vermont that are impassable and then uh there's Mm -hmm. a number of high water spots in maine as well that are uh that are not passable
1: yeah and this um weekend it may get worse there's more rain coming a couple inches in total Incredible. Yeah, and the ground is so saturated right
2: now that it's it's a big issue because it's even an inch of rain or two inches of rain is gonna cause a lot
1: of flooding out there. Mm, absolutely. I'm shocked by all the uh, the landslide activity, the flooding. It's like, oh man. Cats and dogs, it's
2: raining outside, Stomp. Mm-hmm. Next up, I got a little alert here on Cardigan Mountain. There is a, uh, an alert by the Forest Service that was sent out that says Cardigan Mountain Trail and Summit Access will be limited periodically by Fire Tower Replacement Project from July 17th to August 31st. So if you're going up on Cardigan Mountain, um, there's a lot of trails up there that will remain available, but uh, the public you know, may be... Routed away from certain areas, you may not be able to get over by the summit in the uh, the fire tower because they are replacing it. So this fire tower was built in 19, 1903 and they are, oh, maybe actually I'm reading this wrong. The first fire, fire tower in New Hampshire was built in 1903. They've got 15 active towers and I guess they're going to be replacing or updating this one on Cardigan Mountain. And then the next one they're going to be working on is... Uh, Belknap Mountain, which will begin later this summer, so a lot of activity going on there.
1: Okay, good to know.
2: So, um, and then, before we get into housekeeping and sponsors, one last bit of news here. Mick Foley, who was the uh, known as Mankind or Cactus Jack, WWE three-time world champion, uh, he frequently takes vacations in New Hampshire. He actually uh, was able to work as the Wolfman at Clark's Trading Post a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> oh, uh, his really? son works there as a uh, as an amusement park ride operator, and Mick was nice enough to join for a day of being the Wolfman.
3: <laughs> That's an interesting story. Damn bummer, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, no <sighs> yeah. kidding. He's actually perfect
2: for the Wolf Man. He fits in perfectly for that yeah. role. <laughs> super cool and he also went up to he's a i guess he's an amusement park fan so he went up to santa's village gave that a lot of good good feedback and i guess he new hampshire he he vacations in new hampshire every summer and his kid lives up here apparently over the summer
1: Seek to Peak returns this summer with the classic Mount Washington Hikeathon. This annual gathering of New Hampshire's hiking community is the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory's largest annual fundraiser. Hikers raise funds, earn gear, and celebrate at our Apré Hike Party on Saturday, July 15th, with live music, food trucks, epic gear, raffle, beer garden, vendors, and people who care deeply about the trails and an inclusive hiking community. It all takes place at the base of the Mount Washington Auto Road. Our hike and make friends option supports all ability levels, pairing hikers with similar goals for a trek that's right for you. All hikers are welcome to help raise funds for the observatory's summit weather station and services like the twice-a-day higher summits forecast, educational programs, and research in the White Mountains. Seek the Peak is sponsored by... Great Glen Trails and Eastern Mountain Sports. Learn more and register to hike at SeekThePeak.org. And uh, yeah, it's this weekend, so you know you guys already heard the forecast. But uh, they just suggest get ready for a little bit of rain and maybe thunderstorms in the afternoon. But it looks like you guys will be fine for the most part. Um, Just a reminder, you can get your free slasher stickers at Ski Fanatics off of Exit 28. Uh, on 93 and uh, be sure to stop by Spinners in, uh, in Andover off of Dascom Road. And uh, a quick shout out to EMS, who we haven't plugged in a little bit. Your Northeast go to for outdoor gear, guidance, education and more since 1967. Check them out at ems.com And we have Stephen here from at Reckless Brewery where you'll enjoy the best food, craft, beer, and fun, just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4,000 footers, and less than 10 minutes from the five corners. We do have a couple coffee donations here. James Landoli donated four, and he said, scamp. <laughs> <laughs> that was from the uh, the Stomp Goes Rogue episode. It's like, am, am I a scamp or what? Mm-hmm. So he, he claims I'm a scamp, so there we go. And then Jarrett donated five coffees. So thank you guys very much. We really appreciate it.
2: Excellent stop. And then um we still got window clings available. I think I gotta I gotta do I gotta ship out two orders tomorrow. And then um I've been using those window clings just and my windows have not gotten smashed. So mm-hmm. for anyone that's not familiar, we sell these like and there's a link in the show notes, we sell these like sticker slash they're like clings that you can peel on and peel off your window and you just stick them on there when you're hiking and it just says like my car's unlocked don't smash my window um and it's got a little bit of like slasher marketing on it. So I use those a couple of
1: times already and my windows have not gotten smashed. Anti smasher. Anti smasher yes. device. Hey
3: you can brag hundred percent success rate so far. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yes, yeah. yeah. They're they're perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: As far as we know.
2: Exactly. So this is the part of the show where we talk about um, what beer we're drinking. I am back to drinking beer. I like drank a lot of rum punch and margaritas when I was in the islands. And uh, I think I probably put on about 10 pounds from
1: (laughs) Mount Washington at this point. So, sorry. There you go. It's all good. Yeah. Drinking anything good, Stomp? Oh, well, Steve, why don't you describe this one? We're both... (laughs) sharing this one tonight yeah the moment. i brought down some um
3: sunny and share it's one of our uh our IPAs, one that we especially like to brew in the summer because we brew it a little bit lighter we kind of mix the base malt uh with something that's a little bit lighter and we and we hop it so it's a little more floral less uh aggressively fruity um great summer sipper and uh we've all been enjoying it all summer long delicious yeah it's on tap it's in cans well i'll have to check it out we may be going to reckless after my presidential traverse we'll see yeah you'll earn it <laughs> definitely
2: i'm drinking an allagash white it's horrendous i hate it Davey, what are you drinking
4: <laughs> i have a uh, moving Man, on an orange uh, polar seltzer Oh very, oh, very good. Sorry to so, be so yeah, boring. Man. Good
2: on you. Keep it. <laughs> nope, that's fine. Whatever you want to drink is is fine by us. No problem. It's That sounds a lot better than this Allagash. I, so, Steven, do you guys make, what is Allagash? Is that like, is it a type of beer or is it just a, like a brewery
3: that's called Allagash? What, what is it? Yeah, Allagash is the brewery and the, the one that you're drinking is their like, their wheat beer. I think yes, and uh, yeah, yeah. It kind of has a lot of those um, Belgiany flavors. Maybe some of those like spicy stuff is—is is that maybe not what you're interested in?
2: Yeah, it just like feels bitter, but not in a good way. Okay, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> such an enjoyable experience i apologize to the listeners i usually i want to find joy in my beer but this is like this has been sitting in the fridge for like months okay so maybe that that's helps too problem.
3: i think that's one of those yep. beers that people drink with an orange slice try that maybe you'll like it better
2: all right i'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take that i'll take that their advisement so um all right recent hike stop i did despite my uh world travels i have been out hiking a little bit but why don't you start have you gone anywhere good
1: I, uh, I attempted to get up Peacock Hill. That is a, um, a White Mountain National Forest trail up here in Thornton. And it's a beautiful, I think, two-mile hike up to a, a view with a pond. And there are these two peaks that is situated sort of northwest from the pond. It's just really beautiful. And my idea was to try to bushwhack up to those two peaks. Modest, modest bushwhack. I think it's like a mile long. And I gave it a shot but I bonked because the bugs, the bugs were the worst I've ever seen. And that was about what, two weeks ago, probably. Um, It was just awful. Um, So I I bailed. I'm like, nah, I'm going to wait a little bit because the whole, the whole surrounding area uh, past the pond itself uh, is just all bog. So it was really rough. Uh, Try it again. Some other time beyond that. I've just been running still. I I didn't give up. I'm I'm cranking out the run and doing the hills training for mount washington again next year or something yeah we'll see something very good
2: well i have gone uh, i've done two hikes since i've been back so i hiked Kearsarge north the uh, around the july 4th holiday season so we had i came back from new york we flew into new york i came back and then we went right up to maine and it was raining all the whole time. There was like a whole crew of people. My brother-in-law's girlfriend's family was in town there. I went to high school with a bunch of these people. So it's sort of reconnecting with some folks. So they were going hiking. I ended up going hiking with the Pike family of Ohio, which formerly of North Reading. Uh So we went up to Kearsarge North, which for those that are those of you that are not familiar is off of Hurricane Mountain Road. Near North Conway, Cranmore area. It's a six point two mile hike with a fire tower on top, and typically it's a place where you can see some unbelievable views out to Mount Washington. You can get some undercast. Um, we had nothing but clouds, basically. A little bit, a little bit of a view down below, but for the most part, it was just cloudy. Uh, but Stomp, I had an interesting thing
1: happen to me there. Okay. <laughs>
2: Am I bothering you? I, I
1: apologize if I'm distracting you. No, you know what's distracting me? Xylo, our new kitten, is hanging out with Steve, and uh, he's just so chill and having a great time hanging out with uh, our guest. I'm a big Xylo
3: fan. I mean, you guys are cool, but
1: <laughs> Zylo I'm here for Xylo now.
0: <laughs> yeah, so if he's, he's just sitting them. there,
1: how is he distracting you? Because he's just so adorable. You just have to keep on looking. I feel like that's a cover for you're up to something else. I don't know what you do. You're looking on your phone doing something. (laughs) I'm just preparing for the next segment. That's all. All right. We have ten thousand notable hikes. Just so you (laughs) focus, focus, focus. Okay. All right. So,
2: um, but I have a good story. So, Stephen, I'm going to talk to you, and Davy, I'll talk to you. So, (laughs) I had an incident that happened on Kearsarge North that has happened to me before. And what happened was, is that we ran into a guy at about, I think Kearsars North is like 3,200 feet, maybe 3,300 feet. We ran into a guy at about 2,000 feet, maybe 2,200 feet. He was hanging out um, with his family. So it was him and his wife and two kids. And I was, you know, hi, how you doing on trail? He's like, oh, doing good. And he's like, I'm having a little problem with my boots. And uh, he said his, his soul was tearing off his boots. And I knew immediately, I've dealt with this before, where I was hiking down Tuckerman one time. And we got up to Hermit Lake. We were just below Hermit Lake. We ran into a young lady. And she had her boots had fallen apart. She got left by her friends. So we had to basically give her our, our sneakers to wear. And we would like barefoot down. And we would switch off, me and my friend Tom. And what happens in these cases, and people need to be aware of this, is that a lot of people that don't hike often, they'll leave their hiking boots or their whatever their gear is, they'll leave them in their closet for like two, three years, right? Then they get out hiking, everything seems fine. And what happens is is that their boots end up dry rotten, so they fall apart. Like the the, the, the sewing and the, the glue on the leather just falls apart. So this guy was at like 2,200 feet or so. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm having some issue with my boot. So I said to him, I was like, look, you know, I got duct tape. I've got zip ties. Do you want me to do a little field surgery? And he was like, no, I'm good. So I don't know. Have you guys ever run into this before with people having their, their shoes falling apart? Absolutely.
4: Um, either. yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same as you. I'll, I'll, uh, do my only fix is uh, is duct tape. I keep it wrapped around yeah. my, uh, my, my hiking poles and Um, but yeah, it's pretty scary what you see out there. Sometimes, sometimes you see people in flip-flops, uh, on Franconia Ridge and you're, you're kind of thinking there there might be a bigger problem than, uh, than their footwear going on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. So I I just said like, look, I can, and he said, no, I think I'm good. I'm just going to make my way slowly. That's not that bad. So then we get up to, uh, the trail split. And matter of fact, I saw there was two, four service people there. And I was, I even said to them, I was like, um, you know, oh, there's some guy down there that's got some issues with his with his boots, but he's probably heading back down by now. And, you know, we were just talking about some other stuff, then we went on our way. As we're coming down, we see the wife and the two kids are right below the summit. The wife is like, hey, you know, you're the guy that had the duct tape. My husband's at 2,100 feet. If you want to give him a hand, he'll probably be able to take, you know, take the duct tape because it turned out as I got down there, he was at actually at twenty four hundred feet. He was sitting on a rock, and both of his um, boots had fallen apart. So oh, I was able to, you know, give him some duct tape, give him some zip ties, and then I kind of wanted to say to him, I was like, "Dude, you should probably start heading down because it's getting to be like 1:30, 2 o'clock. It's going to take you three four hours to get down. Like it could take you longer." If you start heading down, your wife and kids will meet up with you, but he was a pretty experienced hiker. He said he'd done some sections of the AT and stuff, so I guess he's okay, but it's just a warning to anybody, like especially if you're going hiking with If you're a hiker and you're taking somebody with you that hasn't hiked for a long, a long time just double check with them and be like, hey, you know, if you're bringing old boots, like that's a huge red flag because I think that this dry rotting thing, this is the second time I've seen this happen and I think that it probably happens more than people realize. So have your duct tape with you, have your zip ties with you, and then especially if you're going with someone that doesn't hike a lot and they've got old boots, like I would flag that immediately as a as a problem.
1: Yeah, we should uh, research that. Yeah. It's interesting. I was just yeah. talking to somebody the other day. I think it was yesterday at the uh, that picnic there. Uh, there is that issue with sodium chloride up here in New Hampshire. Um, if you use wax, beeswax on your boots, the wax collects the sodium chloride and can dissolve your leather and destroy your waterproofing. So that could be a factor as well that can hasten that type of situation, even if it's not sitting in your closet for a while.
2: Yeah, to me, it's just one more reason to just go with trail runners in the summer or in the warm (laughs) weather, but... Anyway, um and then the other hike I did, I did me and my daughter were gonna do like a four thousand footer look crappy out on like last Saturday or Sunday, and we ended up doing Morgan Percival. That was pretty mellow, no views. We did see like one dog that was like by the caves in Percival that was like not going in those caves. Sorry, Dad. And mom and dad were trying to get the dog through, and then finally I like showed him like there's a bypass that you can go around. So crisis averted but the dog was like having
1: nothing to do with the caves mm-hmm. mm. yeah pretty sketchy my favorite hike
2: that's your favorite hike
1: yeah those ladders remember that story like yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need to get down these ladders carry me Shoot ladders. I know my daughter did it better <laughs> than you did honestly I bet oh boy <laughs> <laughs> uh all right stomp so notable uh listener hikes of the week yes if you tag slasher in your post on instagram um you can be considered for slasher's notable hike of the week and we have a whole bunch we get a little constipated this week so uh here we go ready you guys can decide the winners so i'm just gonna rattle them off so we have mountain ginger did a solo on Maine's Cutler Coast Trail near the Canadian border. And I got to say, her pictures are absolutely amazing. Looks like a beautiful, beautiful place. Coffee and Vinyl, Black Mountain. And um, it's really neat. I was just recently researching again that uh, Sugarloaf next to Black Mountain for a revisit. We should talk about that, Mike, because that's, that's a really neat little mountain there next to it. But uh, moving on, we have Cindy Hessian did Black Blackcap, Jakester, Tecumseh, Waterville to Tripoli Road. Then we have Sue Marley tagged us and she also did the Morgan Percival loop in Bugs and Smog. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> that sound
2: funny. she might have gone the same day I did then.
1: <laughs> you know, it's very possible. Bugs and Smog. That sounds yeah. so fun. A hunting that hippie. That could be anywhere in the whites for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, hunting hippie did wildcat thunder, 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 and uh, the picture that he posted uh, actually just for anybody that's curious is there's a in the corner you can see the little teeny weeny shed that Mrs Stomp and I hid in during the thunderstorm, Mike. That you remember you sent a text and we were on Wildcat Ridge. Mm-hmm. That whole story. So you can see the little shed that we sheltered in for that massive storm that came through. <clears throat> Dave shits in the woods did Zealand Thoreau Falls and Shoal Pond Willie Field nice job Snow 13 Angel tackled the Tri-Pyramid Loop via Pine Bend and down Sabaday Falls Cello Mello here's a uh, an out of state adventure that was tagged for us the Grand Canyon Traverse holy moly check this out so 26 miles 119 degrees and uh, they got pulled into a rescue apparently, and had to help out a rescue. Yeah, that's hardcore, huh? In
3: 119.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's winning. That's that's notable hike of the week. <laughs> winner, winner. And we're only halfway through. So, yep. <laughs> so RPM CC86 saw our moose and hiked moose with via Beaver Brook. Pretty cool. Long brown path. Did uh, finish the 48 on Madison. Congratulations. That's super cool. Hooray. Jakester again, tackled Garfield for 31 out of 48 of the 4,000 footers. Kitty Hiker did Kinsman's and had a potential stomp sighting. Oh, wow. <laughs> Liz Faye, Skookumchuck to Lafayette to Greenleaf. Um, Kinesthetically a werewolf. That's a nice one, huh? A three-day prezi. And lots of listeners were had on trail, huh? Can you, can you believe that? She's saying that, or, or they are saying that they had a lot of conversation with people that listened to the podcast. So that's really neat. Nice work yeah, cool. there. A couple more, a couple more. E.C. Banks Hikes, Galehead Twins Garfield in Sweltering Temps nice work oh here's here's some guy i've never met before reckless steven <laughs> he tackled four main four thousand footers including do you want to tell us about it
3: oh yeah um, <laughs> uh six i think it was actually okay over two days yeah we started on uh day one was abraham spalding and sugar bush mm-hmm. uh, our sugar loaf sorry then the next day, South Crocker,
1: Reddington, Crocker, and yeah. then out. That's, or is that the wrong week? No, I think that's the right one. So you got Abraham, Spalding, Springer, Reddington, South Crocker, and Crocker. So, so how long were you out there for? Um, we did overnight. Okay. So, yeah,
3: so two day, two full days of hiking. Yeah, and it was uh, just after all that crazy rain, so the water was high, um, humid, hot, bugs. Buggy. Yeah. yeah. We were expecting lightning both days, but it held out. It was so like weird. a miracle. Yeah. No kidding. Christmas in July. Good time. Oh, it was fantastic. It was a yeah. great time. Yeah. Backpacking season is my favorite. So, so taking advantage. So that part of the world, low traffic on trail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is nothing like the whites. Yeah. We yeah. saw, uh, one day we saw 10 people and that was Isn't the that first, awesome. the first day we were out there and That's pretty much it. That's fantastic.
1: Well, unfortunately, guests can't get Notable Hiker of the Week. Oh, that's totally fine. I think we all all know who wins this week. Yeah. Um, Last two here. A Folsom 33 ball face loop in extreme heat but cooled off at Emerald Pool. That's a good call. Emerald Pool is such a great spot if you're doing the ball faces. Oh, yeah. And finally, Liz... Liz Fay did a northern prezi with a spur down Lowe's path, and got to check out Gray Knob Cabin Crag Camp. And um, I just reposted one of her pictures, looking back up towards I believe Adams and Madison in uh, the the upper uh, loop of the King Ravine. So nice work, everybody! But yeah, you're right. That's that's the winner that uh, traverse there, right? Is that the uh, consensus in the Grand Canyon? and that's 18 notable hike stomp yeah they add up quick and but yeah hey people are tagging us and it's nice it's a nice quid pro quo you know spread the word about the podcast and get a little plug
2: yes exactly all right what the hell was that daphne
3: <laughs> just knocked over a couple books <laughs> No surprise. I'm nice like, work, definitely I'm like the cat man over here.
1: <laughs> the cat back of the cats
3: here. All yeah. right. Focus. We got sponsors here. Focus, focus.
1: Oh, you threw me off with that. All right. Let's see. Alzheimer's Sorry. Association. Hike to fight Alzheimer's with 48 Peaks, a fundraising and awareness event for the Alzheimer's Association. Hike one of New Hampshire's 4,000-footers or create your own adventure. Consider joining us this summer or during the fall foliage season. Together, we will paint the mountains purple and raise vital funding to advance the care, support, and research efforts of the Alzheimer's Association. Our hope is that one day, Alzheimer's will be nothing but a memory. So learn more at alts.org right slash 48peaks.
0: Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool.
2: We are joined by our friend Davey Edwards, who is the founder of Open Doors Outdoors, which is a, um, an organization that has a mission to take veterans, their families, and young people into the outdoors for reconnection, healthy activity, and healing. So uh, a variety of different programs, hiking, looks like ATV, UTV programs, kayaking, snowshoeing, a lot of time up in the whites. You're, you're operating out of multiple states based out of Connecticut. Um, so, Davey, you are a Marine veteran and um, a dad, Husband, endurance athlete, and you know, you're, you're working on this nonprofit here. So, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, no, we're happy to have you. And, um, I guess before we start talking about, um, Open Doors Outdoor, can you sort of give a little bit of background on yourself? Um, I, I started, but like, can you fill in and give more detail to the listeners?
4: Yeah. Um, uh, Davey Edwards, um, Glass, uh, South Glassbury, Connecticut, uh, U.S. Marine. Um, I have uh, a social media marketing company in addition to uh, running Open Doors Outdoors. Um, happily married, uh, three amazing kids. I know we all think our kids are great, but I honestly have three of the, the most beautiful children uh, two girls and a boy, 16, 15, and my son is 13. Uh, you guys got to meet him earlier. He's a, a tech wizard, uh, mountain yep, bike. tech support fanatic, guy. He helped us out. He was fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, boarding a Christian, um, love the outdoors. And I think the, the thing that I love the most is sharing the outdoors with other people. Um, I can go hike by myself, but would much rather, uh, be with other people and sharing uh, what I love to do. And, um, and it's just kind of rolled into a, a beautiful nonprofit.
2: Have you always been an outdoor person into hiking and outdoor activity, or did that come later in life for you?
4: I'm going to say it came later in life, although I, um, I had spent some time in the woods um, hunting and and fishing. I had an uncle that was a game warden in Connecticut, and he, he kind of taught me the, the ropes in my teens, early teens. Um, mom got sick when I was 16, died when I was 19, and then the day she passed was actually the day I was supposed to leave for boot camp in the Marine Corps. Um, I ended up leaving um, uh, exactly one month later after her passing, and then the next You know, the next six, seven years after that were were just a mess, Um, being a young Marine and and kind of figure out what I was doing and and didn't really start straightening out until uh, about 26 uh, years old.
2: Interesting. Can you, uh, I'm curious from your perspective, because you know your kids are getting to be that age and my kids are that age and I've got like some nephews and, and, and other kids that are sort of at that high school age that are thinking through like what their next steps in life are going to be, whether they're going to go into a career directly from high school or they're going to go to college or you know, they're deciding on maybe looking at military as an option. Can you give your perspective for young listeners that might be thinking about like what their next step in life is? like for you went through a military career. Do you see that as a good path for young people um, at this point? or can, I guess what is your what is your perspective about that?
4: that's that's such a great question and and, um, you know, I feel like um, my my life, my career actually started, you know, in 2018 with open doors outdoors. And obviously that that's a very late start in life, but everything in my life led up to serving other people, um, all the, all the hard stuff, all the good stuff, all the the sleepless nights and, and, and all the adventures. Um, so what I tell my kids is there's no rush. There's no rush at all. Don't feel like you have to go to college. Don't feel like you have to do anything. just, you know, if, if you're doing something that you love, truly love, like open doors, outdoors, I truly love it. And every time I have to make the four hour drive up to the whites, do an eight hour hike, drive four hours home the same day, it's not work at all. I truly love it. And that's what I that's what I try to preach to my children is that just figure out what you love to do and do that thing. And you'll never you'll never work a day in your life.
2: Right. Right. And the, your, your hiking background and your hiking experience, did it come along with the start of Open Doors Outdoors or did you get into hiking ahead of time and then, and then use that experience as a, sort of a, as part of your nonprofit?
4: Yeah. I, um, you know, I didn't even know, um, when I started, um, in 2018 that there were, uh, 48, 4,000 footers. Um, I, uh, got my, uh, I got my, uh, my feet wet on the PEMI loop. I've done that seven times. And had I known there was 48, 4,000 footers, I probably would have done the PEMI once and then started tackling the 48, uh, 4,000 footers. So, so I had a very little working knowledge of, um, exactly what made the white mountain. So, so special. I climbed Mount Washington uh, when I was 14 with my church group and had never done it again. And now I've done it, um, multiple times. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to say that the, uh, that open doors, outdoors, uh, really um, was a big part of that. What, what really was the, the biggest part of it um, was a divorce I went through about eight years ago now. Um, and and that's really where Open Doors Outdoors was born. And I had three small kids. I went through a divorce. I was completely broke, completely broken, um, spiritually, uh, mentally, physically. Every, every part of my life was really in, it was a wreck. And um, But I was left with these three young children half the time. So I had to figure out what I was going to do with them, and um, you know we started with the library, with the free movie passes and the free and the free zoo passes, and um, trying to keep them busy that way. And and I the one thing, the two things I had was I had money for gas and snacks. And if I tell everybody the same thing, if you have money for gas and snacks, you can keep your kids moving and active. And hiking was a natural. Um, I just kind of started doing it. So we started off locally hiking. And before you know it, we're on Mount Monadnock, we're on Mount Greylock, we're up Lafayette where uh, my uh, son climbed Mount Washington when he was seven, Uh, just him and I. We had a a minivan that was handed down to us. Uh, It was, uh, I think when we got it, it was 13 or 14 years old and uh, my car got repossessed. It was as as bad as it could possibly be. Uh, But I really think it was the time that I spent in the mountains with my children that Gave me the idea that there has to be other guys, other dads struggling just to figure out, you know, how to do it. And I had gone through um, uh, the VA for PTSD. I had um, I had a gunnery sergeant um, that had died um, um, in a training exercise, and I was right behind him, and I rolled him over, and he was he was having a heart attack, and it was uh, it was a pretty brutal death. And back then, there was really no follow up. There was no way to to. Uh, it was kind of just, hey, Edwards, are you okay? and I was a young Marine and I was like, yeah, of course I'm okay. This isn't combat. I'm not overseas. This is, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And it wasn't until years later that I did get diagnosed with uh, with PTSD because of that. Um, but some of the things I learned, I did a 12 week uh, cognitive behavior um, program through the VA and um, fast forward to seven years later when the, the divorce was happening, I was able to draw back on some of that um, training and I think it, it proved to be a very, um, you know, very helpful. So it kind of all happened at once, but, you know, I I tell everybody the same things that the mountains do the work, you know, when you're in the mountains and you're, and you're going through that first mile or two climb and your body's going through that stress. um, It's, it's uh, a a humbling experience, but it's also something that's very freeing when you, when you uh, summit.
2: Yeah, no, I, I understand that. Like, you know, the, even driving up to the trailhead for the, you know, you still got, you've got life you know, the, the sort of like hovering over you, but like, you're right, like the first like half a mile or so, then you're okay. You're in the woods. You got the noise. You're relaxed. It definitely changes it for you. Um... I am curious, can you give a little bit of background? So you went through a tough period in your life, um, worked through that and came out the other side. What was the sort of impetus for you to start open doors outdoors? So you were, you were touching sort of to hiking on your own with your own kids, but what, what exactly started the, uh, the nonprofit for you?
4: Yeah. So, um, I live in South Glassbury, Connecticut. It's a little south of Hartford. It's a very affluent um town, very wealthy. Um I live in a kind of a sub part of the town. Um down in the farming community, it's a lot of apple orchards and and uh, we're right on the Connecticut River. And on the outside, um my life looked very, very nice. I had a nice car in a driveway. Um I have a very nice home, um, I live in a nice neighborhood and, and yet I was completely falling apart and I started to think that there has to be other dads in town uh, that are struggling and and then I started thinking about the veteran piece, um the PTSD and um what was the biggest push for um the nonprofit being started was as I'm sharing all my hikes with my family and my kids on social media, people started asking me, Hey, where'd you park? How long was the hike? Um you know, where, what was it like? Can you, you know, can you show me, can you call me, can you take me with you? And eventually I started sharing these hikes with people. And, um, you know, I I reflect back on, um, climbing Mount Greylock with my three children, um, again, two girls and a boy. And, um, at any given moment climbing Mount Greylock, one was laughing, one was crying and one was completely confused. And I realized very quickly that if I could get three kids up a mountain, I'm a professional guide, no matter how you shake it, if you can get your kids up a mountain, you are a very good uh, motivator, Uh, you have to know how to talk um, sweet, you have to know how to be stern, Uh, you have to know how to make things fun, you got to make sure you bring the snacks, and um, I found that um, when I started hiking with adults, they weren't much different, you know, they needed the same kind of motivation, especially if they were lacking experience to do any of these hikes, so... It, um, it very quickly turned into something that I was sharing. And it, and it goes back to what I said originally, that that's my passion. You know, I'd much rather climb with someone than hike alone. I, I do hike alone. I've, I've done it. Um, and it's something that, you know, I, I don't do often, but when I really need uh, to kind of get regrounded, I do go by myself. And I just did that up Mount Monadnec and it was great. And um, I think that um, the um, the part about sharing um, those hikes is, is kind of what, what made me think I could do this as a nonprofit. And, um, I, um, ended up, um, calling a, uh, a good buddy of mine. He's my accountant and he helped me start, um, different businesses. I had a mortgage company uh, that didn't work out. I had a boat company that didn't work out. I had a sweet frog frozen yogurt that didn't work out. And uh, I called him up. I'm like, Hey, I got an idea for a nonprofit. He's like, I love it. Let's do it. I'm like, but listen, you know, you, you always support me in these things and none of them work out. So. I don't want you to just do this to do it. Like, I want to make sure you think it's it's good. And he's like, nope, I think it's a wonderful idea. And um, he knew what I was going through at the time. And, and, and he's such a good friend. Maybe he just thought it'd be good for me just to keep my, you know, just keep my sanity. And he was actually our first donor. Um, he donated, I think it was about $190 um, to incorporate the, the nonprofit. And he, uh, he was actually our first donor and he still does our taxes. And he was a, a board member for, uh, the first um, three and a half years of our nonprofit, he just recently stepped down and now he's our controller.
2: Wow. And what is the, what exactly is the model? So you offer a variety of different um, events and activities. Uh, can you talk a little bit about um, what the, what those events are and then who typically would join?
4: Yeah. So the way we, the way we look at um, our participants is we um, treat everyone um, behind the scenes as if they're they're broke f- physically, they're broke emotionally and they're broke spiritually uh, financially broke um, and we just um, we offer transportation uh, we offer a guided hike and a, and a meal and um, we started off in our F-150 truck so we could take out um, three in addition to the driver um, in, addition, in addition to me so we would you know use the way uh, as example we'd meet up in town uh, we'd get in the truck I would drive them up to whatever trailhead we were doing and we would hike, and then we would um, stop at a restaurant the way home, and then we would. Then I would drive them home. And um, the reason why we do that is there were times I didn't have money for food, and um, someone would buy me a meal. And I know what it meant to me. Um, so that's why we provide a meal. Uh, the transportation's the same way. I had very little money, and my car wasn't working. And there was definitely times that I couldn't have gone to the mountains. So that's why we offer transportation. Sometimes people want to go by themselves. Sometimes when they first meet us, they're like, no, I'll meet you at the trailhead. You know, it's a little weird driving people I don't know. And, um, and, um, and then we it, there's, uh, if you look at our, if you look at our, our t shirt here, our logo is four mountains, um, and three lines. And the three lines represent, um, the reconnection, healthy activity, and healing, which is our anticipated outcome. And the four mountains represent the four hikes minimum that we hope you commit to. And um, we don't take people to the, to the White Mountains right away. Uh, we'll start off with a small local hike. Um, we'll work up to Mount Greylock or Mount Mananac. Um, and then we'll start with a an easier 4,000 footer, which could be Mount Pierce. And then um, the end goal is to get that individual up Mount Washington, um, whether that includes an overnight or not. Most of the stuff we do, um, we don't do overnights because that tra- the car ride is so important for the connection uh, that we uh, established with the the different individuals. Um, so hiking is our first and foremost. That's our that's our bread and butter. Um, snowshoeing was added because we of the winter hikes we would do. Um, so we incorporated snowshoeing. In um, Connecticut, it's a little rough lately. There hasn't been a ton of snow. Um, and then we added a kayak program, which is uh, which is really just getting off the ground. Um, which is we got a beautiful grant. We have some foot operated kayaks. One of our veterans is uh, is amputee, is missing his uh, left arm, and uh, so we had uh, an individual that came in mind, so we have the foot-operated foot kayaks, we have normal kayaks, we have lightweight kayaks, um, and then the UTV program, which was um, designed in, in the creation of it was for disabled veterans that couldn't enjoy the outdoors as their able-bodied counterparts, and that's how uh, we technically say it, and um, to start that program, there was a veteran that came up through our program, did all the four hikes, uh, him and his wife, we were able to outfit them with a thousand dollars in gear each, uh, with a grant that we wrote. And they had two autistic children that were, um, that they gave birth to while on active duty and two beautiful boys. Um, so in preparation for the UTV adventure program, I asked him if he, uh, wouldn't mind coming out on a UTV ride with his boys just so I could figure out the logistics. You know, where are we gonna park? Where are we gonna drive? How are we gonna do this? And, um, one of his sons is, um, both on a spectrum, one is nonverbal, and once the the machine started, um, the nonverbal um, son calmed right down, and it wasn't. I wasn't surprised because I had no idea what anything really meant within the autistic uh, community, but I was I was shocked by the fact that he was shocked. So I'm like, is this is this good? Is this bad? Like, what's going on? He's like, this is amazing. Like he like he calmed right down. So we did a UTV ride, and we did a couple with him. And before you know it, we started inviting, uh, individuals from the, uh, families with autistic kids from, uh, the community. So we started offering rides to, um, families and, and just opened it right up. And it, it had to be six months later. We, I was doing a little bit of research and there's something called vibration therapy. And, you know, everyone's amazed at the program. They're like, wow, this is brilliant that you're doing this. Etc. And I'm thinking it's, I'll be honest with you, it was completely by accident. We had no yeah. intention of, ser- of serving autistic children. And it was just this miracle. So now it's uh, it's this beautiful program. Now we've added uh, another UTV. Um, this one is uh, fully enclosed, has air conditioning, power windows, the whole nine yards. And there's some kids on the spectrum that um, if the bugs come in, um, the open windows, if they get dirt, dust, things like that um, are, are a little bit um, uncomfortable for them. So we were able to upgrade um, into a second uh, UTV that uh, that, um, we can take out in the heat of summer in the middle of the rain. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's actually, um, it's, I think I get more out of, um, the, the blessing that, um, we, we get to give these families than than the, uh, the families actually do. I love watching it.
2: Wow. And then as far as the, um, the people that participate, are you working with like veterans administration and, and other organizations to, to offer your services?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started Open Doors Outdoors, um, I had a three year plan. It was gonna, the year one was gonna be friends and family. Um, I was only gonna work with people I knew and, and this is just, uh, just for safety, for, for my own safety, for the volunteer safety. So year one was just people we know, friends and family, veterans, um, just get them out hiking, kind of get, figure out what the program's all about. Year two was collaboration and that's what you're speaking of. Uh, so we work with um, a handful of veteran organizations. We work directly with um, the, uh, the, the VA. Um, we take out um, uh, veterans from the uh, VA home um, in a couple different towns. Uh, we work with um, some different uh, veteran organizations that are actually um, for veterans that are homeless. Um, we take out their veterans and um, we have uh, a veterans organization in town here called the Marine Corps League. Uh, I get to be the chaplain for that and uh, we do a lot with them as well. Um, so that is really our bread and butter when it comes to um, working with individuals where we – it's a very safe environment for us because these uh, organizations provide um, someone from their organization as kind of a, the, uh, the middle person between us and, and their uh, their veterans. And then year three was we just opened the doors. We just literally just started saying, hey, we're taking people Vet, you – know, we're taking veterans hiking. Reach out to us. Let us know. And we, you know, we use great caution with that. We we've only had one experience that was not pleasant uh, with one individual that we were um, recommended. And um, but but for the hundreds that we've met, um, we've only had one that was, uh, uh, like I said, an uncomfortable experience. But it's uh, it's it's been great.
2: Excellent. And then you're like you're one of the hiking guides, one of the hiking experts. You have other people in the organization that also play that role.
4: Yeah, we have some, we have some amazing veterans, um, that, uh, we, we, um, that we meet just along the way, whether they're referred in or they heard about us. We were just on the the cover of the Hartford Current and it's the main paper in Connecticut. Uh, we're on Fox 61. Um, local papers. So we, this has been a very good year for us just for getting the, you know, getting our name out. And then it's the old antids, you know, if you build it, they will come. And I always really felt like that with my whole heart. If, if it's a good organization, that's honest, the right people will come. And we've had some, some amazing people come in. Um, you know, I tell everybody I walk with giants, you know, I, I never, I never served overseas and, and I never saw combat. And I always thought that possibly um, that would be a hindrance to, to working with veterans, but because of the experience I had with losing the gun sergeant, I can relate to veterans on on the, the level of trauma, on the level of loss, um, but I was always a little concerned about, you know, could I actually have an impact on the, you know, the veterans that have have served in combat and it's been amazing to, to see who's been, you know, who's been reaching out to us. And we have an amazing board. We have uh, two army Rangers, combat vets. We have a a retired, I call him retired. He did his time. Uh, He didn't do a full 20, but he retired as a a major. He was a, um, uh, infantry, um, infantry Marine. Um, we have, um, you know, all these, All these, the the giants that I call them that that want to be a part of this. And I'm always humbled that, you know, they see Open Doors as a place where they, uh, you know, where they have a, a place, where they have a home.
2: What would you say to um, veterans or family members or veterans that might be listening th- that are hesitant to want to get involved in these? Or I would think that there's probably some veterans that are struggle that sort of like, you know, I'm tough enough. I can just work through these things myself. I'm not, gonna, I'm not a joiner. Like what, what message would you send to them um, to sort of convince them to t- take a look at a program like yours?
4: Yeah. You know, we um, there's, there's a couple of things about open doors outdoors. Um, we're, we are, um, we're not a therapeutic group. We don't offer therapy. Um, we don't. Um, we don't sit around and talk. Um, we don't circle up uh, around the fire and tell our war stories. Um, that's one thing we don't do. Um, it does happen on the trail. Um, it's a beautiful thing when you see the veterans connecting on their own. And the reason why we do that is because um, it's it's we want it to be a safe environment, and and not only safe. You're physically safe, but you're emotionally safe. I'm not going to ask you um, tell me tell me your story. I want to hear your story. It's not, I don't want to hear your story to be honest with you. I just want I just want you to. I want the mountains to do the work. I I'm not I'm not the guy that's going to solve anyone's problems, but I'm going to facilitate what worked for me, and I'm going to share my story. I'm going to tell you what happened to me, how the VA helped me, how the mountains helped me, how my uh, being a father helped me, and then hopefully hopefully it, it has an impact, but that's the one thing I would say is that it, it, you're just coming to hike and to hang out with some pretty amazing people. Um, the overall feel of Open Doors Outdoors is it's a, it's a quiet group. We're not, you know, we're not blasting rock and roll on the way up. It's a very quiet um, atmosphere. And I, and I think that's, I'm 51, you know, I'm, I'm definitely done. I, I bounced for years and I was an idiot and I did all the, the silly things and, you know, I got in trouble and, and I was able to um, make the changes and the, the organization reflects where I'm at now. And it it can be, um, you know, there's some veteran organizations where you're going to get together and you're going to go and you're going to, you know, you're going to party and you're going to, you're going to go in that direction. And I think there's a place for that. I think that definitely builds bonds. We're on the opposite spectrum. You know, we're going to let the the mountains do the work and we're going to, I don't know, we're going to talk and we're going to talk about whatever, um, but it's, it's definitely not, you're not there to, to bear your, your scars to us. Got
2: it. Um, how can listeners support your organization?
4: Uh, if, if there was a listener that wanted to, to support us, um, I would say follow us on social media and um, see what we're doing. And um, you know, it's, it's nice when people make a donation. Um, but what we really, what we really want is we just, we want. Um, people spread the word. You know, we we're doing very well uh, financially. We have we have um, we have very amazing supporters. Um, so, if it was between giving us uh, forty dollars or taking five minutes and thinking about five veterans that you know uh, that could use um, you know an experience like this and and just get out in the mountains, that's that's invaluable to us. Um, so that's that's how you can support us. Um, if you're at a corporation, if you're at a large corporation or business, there's always funds available through large corporations uh, through hospitals and things like that, or insurance companies that, um, that, um, that have charitable giving boards. Um, uh, that's a big help for us if there was some way to, for us to connect to that, but, but really just, uh, just maybe just take a couple minutes and think of who, who needs to go out. And, you know, it's funny when I, when I, when open doors first started, I thought for sure that, um, we were going to just open the doors and everyone's going to come limping in and, sobbing and they're going to, they need help. And it's not like that at all. And what we found is that um, the guys that don't necessarily need a program, you know, there's guys out there that have seen some very difficult things, but they're doing just fine. Those are the guys that can really help us reach the guys that really need it. Um, They have friends that they serve with that are, are struggling. So sometimes the veterans may think, well, I I don't need that. I don't need to go hiking with this group and I don't want to, I don't need a free meal you don't, you, maybe you don't, but if you come and you get to know us, then maybe there's someone that you know that you can bring with you and that you can say, Hey, you know, there's this group, they go hiking, come with me. I'd really appreciate it. And, um, that's actually where we, where we have the biggest impact is on, is, is how we reach the guys and girls that really need to be out there.
2: Well, you're doing great work. Um, seven PEMI loops, so you must have some stories from that. Have you ever gotten in trouble out there or any any close calls?
4: You know, I am uh I, I uh, it's so funny when you're you're asking the questions about um, you know, would you go down to Pirate Beach and sacrifice your yeah. children? Um, you know, my answer is no. I am ultra, ultra conservative, uh, when it comes to these hikes and I see pictures of these, these groups that are out there in, in the hundred mile an hour winds and it looks awesome and, and they have, you know, all their safety measures and they're dialed in and, and, that's not me. Um, it's uh, I'm a, I'm a blue weather guy. I love winter hiking. I love ascending Mount Washington in the winter. Um, but it's going to be a bluebird day, and it's going to be um, I, it's it's just the way it is. So I have never um, I've never had an issue um, on the Pemi except for one time, and it was when I first started doing it. And I had uh, I had a good buddy of mine. And I brought my wife, and um, I'm I'm embarrassed to even tell the story. But I've I've come leaps and bounds since then. Uh, my wife, um, who, uh, who is an experienced, um, iron woman, she's done Kona, she's a, a triathlete coach. She's an incredible athlete, um, beautiful person. And, um, I made the mistake of taking her on the PEMI, uh, without, um, really, um, really, uh, filtering her, her, uh, her, her, her skills. And, um, long story short is we're coming down off a of flume. Um, it's, um, pitch dark. It's starting to have a cold rain. Um, no headlamps. Uh, we had three phones, two of them were dead and we walked the last, uh, we walked the four miles past the stairs down to uh wilderness, uh, down to the wilderness trail, um, with one cell phone light. And had we not had that, um, that one cell phone light, uh, we would have been in trouble. And, um, that one hike changed everything for me. Now I carry two headlamps. Um, even if I'm doing a day hike, I make sure that there's there's a, any possible thing that I think could go wrong. And I think that one experience um, uh, scarred me in a very good way to be um, ultra, you know, ultra, um, ultra conservative in in everything that we do. So that we just did the um, Pemian. um We did it last Saturday. And we left at 10 o'clock at night and uh, we had more than enough of everything that we needed. And it was myself and uh, and a prior service army ranger. um, And we were overstocked with safety, but um, that one experience um, was the worst experience that I had in the mountains. And also the one that that changed me for the better. And it rolls over into the way we approach hikes uh, with open doors
2: yeah i would imagine that coming down osseo with just one cell phone light would be a um that that would be something that would change your perspective on safety
4: yeah it it was scary and i was scared i was scared i mean that's i was afraid it's it's yeah. but i know that god had it, it, it was it was it all worked out and it'll never happen again and um but i get to i get to pass that information on to anyone we take out um and the Pemi's no joke i mean it's it's uh it's such a, it's such a butt kicker and it's beautiful and miserable. And I think most of the, most of the hike, I'm miserable on, on that hike and until I, I get to dip in the river after the bridge. And, um, but it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely made me uh, a different person.
1: Excellent. Stop. Any other questions? Too many, too many, much too many. So yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to, sit back and savor this one. I really appreciate your story and uh, especially the, the hard times and the low times that you went through. I, I have gone through many of those myself and, um, and, and your faith and everything else. So I just appreciate the story and uh, yeah. Uh, I just Thank wish you the best and blessings and keep on fighting and moving forward. Do you, do you have any anticipation as to where it's going? Will this go nationally or expansion?
4: Yeah, so we we have a, uh, we, have a, a uh, we have a branch in Colorado. We have a branch uh, in Washington State, um, but I think that it's um, I think we're just really focusing on New England, and then whatever comes from that. Um, I thought originally that we really had to be national to to have the impact, but it's such a um, it's such a neat New England is really a neat area. Um, and we've, as a, as an organization, we've done the Grand Canyon, we've done Mount Whitney, we've gone to the base camp of Rainier. So I think the real focus, instead of pushing, uh, any more national, uh, opportunities, I think that we're going to, um, really focus on two, uh, local hikes out West. Um, and that it's a little more affordable, um, and we can connect with organizations out in that area um, to to kind of increase our impact and and that's something we've just been talking about in the last month or so. But I think uh, I think that's a, the big thing. Is I love it out west. Uh, my son loves it, and we have some very good friends in Arizona that spend a lot of time um, in the Grand Canyon area, Sedona. Um, so th- I think that's uh, where I see it going. Um, but but that's uh, but that's it. And and just really just just turning up the the volume on the hikes right now that we have. Davey Edwards,
2: Open Doors Outdoors, impressive. So uh, we're going to definitely include all the links to your organization so that the listeners can check it out. And if they want to participate, they can get in touch with you. We'll include all that info. And, um, you know, thanks for joining us. Definitely hang out. You'll probably have some more input to give us. We're going to talk with Reckless Steve about what he's been up to. He's been doing some backpacking and some hiking, and then um, we'll do some recent search and rescue news. So hang out, and um, you know, thanks again. It's It's been great talking to you.
4: I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank
2: you so
1: much. Yeah, it's been great.
2: Awesome. Moving on to our next segment here, we want to catch up with um, Reckless Stephen. Um, he has been out hiking. He's been making beer. He's been doing his own podcast at Fantasy Pants. So, um, Steven, what's what's new with you? Are there any updates in Reckless with new beers that you've been making?
3: Um, yeah, actually, tomorrow we're doing something really cool. Um, we're going to do a little collab with a one of our hop suppliers. A guy from Willamette Valley is what they're called. So the idea behind this beer is that we're going to make it entirely with uh, what's called advanced hop products. Um, I mean, hops, as you know, are just a little like flour. For brewing, they process it down to this little pellet. It kind of looks like rabbit food. Um, Then they figured out a way to process it even further. Um, And now they're processing it into these like oils. And there's a whole bunch of different uh, companies on the market that are all selling these oils. And this guy, Paul, from Willamette Valley, he's like a pro, um, really knows his stuff as far as hops go. So we've been utilizing some of these advanced hop products. But this beer that we're brewing tomorrow, uh, it's going to be part of our rec series. We're going to call it rec seven. So in probably about two or three weeks from recording is when it's going to be released. And and we're brewing that tomorrow. It's going to be all advanced hop products. And uh, it's pretty exciting for us. No kidding! Wow. Yeah, so so that enables us to be able to put more hop flavor and aroma into a beer without losing a bunch to all the vegetable matter. Um, so it makes it more efficient and uh, tastier.
2: Wow! Yeah. Wow. When you're working on like a weekly basis, like is is it the like when you start a new batch? Is that like considered like the best part of the the week, or is it more enjoyable to like? finish a batch and can it up or
3: what, what, how does it work in a brewery? What's the bad part and what's the fun? Part? <laughs> well, we, we have enough tanks that there's always a beer somewhere in the process, whether, cause we, we usually brew, I would say an average of three times a week. Sometimes it's four, sometimes it's two. Um, and then we're, you know, packaging beers just as frequently. And then there's a, a huge range of beer all in between. Um, so it's really cool to, be able to come in and see the birth of a beer and the uh, the packaging of a beer. Um, the hardest part or the worst part, I don't know, I guess is when you get dirty, when something goes wrong, <clears throat> when a hose springs a leak or... <laughs> An entire batch goes.
1: Remember, uh, remember that story you told us? the yeah. one of your batches. <laughs> yes,
3: we've, we've had some some leaks and, and you know, <laughs> uh, some hot volcanoes and things like that. Oh um, I mean, it, it just can be dirty and sweaty and wet, you know, in this, this recent heat wave that we've had. You know, it's not like I work in an air-conditioned um, building, you know. There's an overhead fan and a couple of windows, and you're standing yeah. next to... to Big, giant pots of boiling wort. Um, So the the heat is probably the worst part, the hardest part. Um, But no, it's great that you can constantly come in and see the fruit of your labor. It's not like, you know, if you're homebrewing stomp, like when you made your pale ale. Yeah. After you you brewed it, you had to wait the whole time until it was was done. It was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Waiting's hard. But when you've got so many going at the same time. Yeah. That's always a little bit of a treat. So cool. Yeah.
2: And then Reckless, like last time I was there, I went for the Alzheimer's Association, um, like wrap up party or, or party. And the, the we missed you. main building was busy. <laughs> and then the back building was like so, so crazy. Like I, the business must be booming at this point.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, they've got two buildings. And, and like you said, especially on a busy weekend when there's an event going on. Which I am sorry I missed. I, I think that weekend I was out in Vermont. Yeah, I'm taking it personal. I don't I don't think you like my DJing. <laughs> no, that's oh yeah, okay. That's totally not true. Um, but yes, I big big uh bigly missed out on that one. But um yeah. the the, the pint house and the the main brew pub, they're they're crazy all summer long pretty much.
1: So cool. Yeah. By I, the way, Xylo is um He's hanging with the boys still. Sorry, Stomp, I stepped on yeah, you. Yeah, Zylo's still hanging here. Oh, it's okay. No, Zylo's... I just got a text from Mrs. Stomp. She's like, I haven't seen Zylo all night. Do you know where he is? So I sent her a picture of Zylo sprawled out on Steve's lap. So he's <laughs> like, he's just hanging with the boys. <laughs> nice. So, Steve, are you
2: doing the uh, the uh, the New England... 4,000 footers. Is that what's going on with Vermont and Maine?
3: Uh, No, I had no interest in doing the new England 67. um, But my buddy Joni is, (laughs) and I've been going along. So now I'm almost done. I've got um, two more in Maine, Mansfield and Killington and just uh, a small handful, or sorry, in Vermont, Mansfield and Killington and just a small handful in Maine. Um, So, kind of accidentally stumbled into completing the New England 67. Um, I'm not rushing it. I don't think it'll happen this year. I really enjoy hiking locally. I love living in the mountains because I can hike here. Um, but I'm sure it'll happen next year.
2: Those main peaks that you went on, Abraham, Spalding, the Crockers, Reddington, wh- which one was the highlight from your perspective?
3: Um, Abraham was great because it's a um, treeless summit. I, I love being in the Alpine. So so that was the highlight. It was a it was a pretty tough climb. Um, you know, especially that's the point where you have the most food and whatnot. Um there were really no low points, I don't think. I, I enjoyed them all. Reddington was a quote unquote bushwhack uh stomp. I don't know what you think, but I think my definition of a bushwhack is if you have to do your own or, orienteering. If you can if you can do a bushwhack or a hike without pulling up a map or a compass, I I'd just call it a herd path
1: interesting okay yeah i mean that's pushing it for me I'm, i mean with a compass well i don't know about specifically but, but being like like with for me it's like without a gps without
3: right, electronics exactly oh yeah for sure if you can just walk and follow the whole path absolutely i think it's a stretch to call that a, a bushwhack absolutely yeah no question but reddington which mm-hmm. was like that was gorgeous beautiful forest like i said no low points on the whole trip yeah, yeah. wow
2: and S- Stephen, do you host your own podcast, Fantasy Pants, a D&D role-playing <laughs> show? How is that going?
3: Yes, uh, yes, I do. I'm one of three, myself, my buddy David and Jeremy. Um, we all actually work at Reckless together. Um, <laughs> fell into the D&D hobby together at various points. And, and now, weekly, we sit down and play and uh, <clears throat> release it to the world, to whoever's silly enough to want to listen to us be silly. <laughs> uh, and, and it's going great. We're having a, a lot of fun. Um, growth is slow and steady we're building a really great little community around us um, lots of other podcasters uh, dice makers blacksmiths cartographers um, it's a really creative community and, uh, and and having a lot of fun meeting people and and creating mm, i don't know art's not the right word but creating fun creating experiences
1: and memories yes and laughs
3: Oh, nice. Well,
2: Stomp, I had a, um, I had a moment where I went down like a little rabbit hole about Dungeons and Dragons and there's this like drama that's been going on about
3: open game licensing. Are you yeah.
2: familiar with that, Steve?
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. That was, uh, it was yeah. towards the beginning of the year, wasn't it? I think. I think
2: it was towards the beginning of the year. So essentially like, I think that there was a lot of these companies that were like pushing out blockchain NFTs and, and, and otherwise profiting on Dungeons & Dragons in ways that I think weren't initially envisioned when the original licensing went out. So for the listeners to understand this, essentially there's this there's this organization called Wizards of the Coast that owns Dungeons & Dragons. They allow people basically to use Dungeons & Dragons freely... Um, pretty much with like limited restrictions. And the, the the way that it's done is over this open game licensing um, agreement. And what Wizards of the Coast tried to do was essentially change the open um, game license to basically require anybody that was monetizing their... Um, pursuits with Dungeons and Dragons to pay them a royalty. They had to reset basically like all the old licensing agreements went out the went out the door. And a lot of it had to do with them stopping companies from doing NFTs and this blockchain stuff that was going on back last year. Um, but the nerds basically all just went up in arms about the whole thing and pushed back pretty significantly. And I think eventually they just decided to like run away and say, we're we're canceling it. So in case you guys do blow up and you make a lot of money in that podcast, like you won't have to pay any royalties, which, which is good.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a, a pretty big beach breach of trust, uh, for the community. Um, there were, there were basically things in there that said like, um, just all these little caveats and legal speech that was like, oh yeah, if we wanted to, we could just come and just take everything you own sort of thing um, yeah. And royalties and, and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, Amazing. Well, I'm glad that you guys dodged that bullet. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we'll ever have to worry about it, but, um, it, it is nice to know that, um, if enough little people speak up, you can get, uh, the big corporation to back down. Yep. For sure. Yeah. No question.
1: gear. Do you have a sweat problem? Sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news at Slasher for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem. Vaucluse's ultralight ventilation backpack frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, size 15 liters to 65 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over 3 ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. Visit Vauclusegear.com to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER to enjoy a $5 discount. Plus, you let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. We can
2: get into the recent search and rescue news. It's starting to pick up quite a bit. And we'll start with one that occurred on... June 29th. This was um, a response to an injured hiker that was located about four miles up Gale River Trail. So they were probably coming down from, I guess, Gale Head Hut. 18-year-old from Gainesville, Florida, was hiking with a family member um, on June 28th when he suffered a lower leg injury. Uh, The pier was assisted by crew from the AMC Uh, to the Geelhead Hut, where they spent the evening hoping they'd be able to descend the following day. On June 29th, even with assistance from an Appalachian Mountain crew member, the pair only made it like about four-tenths of a mile in several hours, and the decision was made to begin a 20-person carryout rescue with volunteers from the Pemi Valley Search and Rescue Team along with conservation officers from New Hampshire fishing game. So uh, that's a long trip down Gale river trailhead. Um, sure is. So they loaded him into a rescue litter. I guess it's not horrible though, because that's, a, I mean, if you are going to get rescued, like that's not a horrible trail to carry somebody out on a litter compared to some of the other trails, I guess.
1: Uh, I mean, it's, my, it's long miles, but it's, it's a pretty mild trail. Yeah. My memory yeah. of that is from the winter and uh the crossing over of the river back and forth towards the end. Sure, yeah, that water's a little different. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's a long one, long and hot, hot, sweaty weather.
2: Yeah, and I think it's one of those areas too, like Garfield, where you can get an ATV out a about mile and a half, two miles in to pick people up. So it was not a super long carryout. It was about two miles, and then they were able to get him to um, the ATV which was good. So all's well that ends well. Uh, there's a couple of these from people that are like not from the New England area. So maybe that's a pattern. I don't really know. Hmm. So Galehead hut rescue. The next one here is on the bell nap. So this happened on June 28th. Um, Fishing game notified of an injured hiker on the old Piper Trail on Piper Mountain. Guilford Fire and Rescue Lakes Region SAR team and conservation officers responded to the scene. About a half a mile in, it was a uh, female hiker local to New Hampshire. Lower leg injury slipped on wet rocks as she traversed the trail. Um, So rescue crews had to carry her off the mountain. Uh, Call came in at 1.15 and they were off the mountain at 2.45. So, good job, Lakes Region.
1: Yeah, not too bad. Fast turnaround. around. Nope.
2: Yep, and then moving on to July 3rd stomp, we've got a injured hiker that was carried down Webster-Jackson Trail. So this was a Massachusetts woman, 32-year-old from Somerville, Mass., was coming down Webster-Jackson Webster Trail after trying to complete a day loop hike from the Highland Center in Crawford Notch. I don't really know what that means. I'm assuming that means like they were going to go over to Mizpah and down, down that way, but I don't really know. But she slipped on a wet rock section of the trail and injured her leg. Um, it doesn't say, oh, here we go. So she was about two miles up from the, ja- the Webster Jackson trailhead. So that's probably close to like where the trail split is. And the call came in at 5.30 on July 3rd. They were able to um, get to her around 8.20. So um, they treated her on the trail, carried her down, and then she was out by 11.30 that night. So that was a long time for them to get to her, considering where she was. But it's also July 3rd, so I think a lot of people were probably out partying and drinking. So. (laughs) Um, this next one here, sad story. We had a hiker fatality that happened on July 2nd. Uh, This happened on Black Cap. So this is a 59 year old hiker that had a medical emergency near the summit of Black Cap. So for people that aren't familiar with this, Black Cap is a trailhead that is on the top of Hurricane Mountain Road, pretty easily reached by either North Conway or you can come over from the Freiburg side as well in Maine. Um, so this gentleman was with family Unfortunately, had a medical emergency, and uh, the family attempted life-saving measures, but unfortunately, he passed away. So North Conway Fire and Rescue and Action Ambulance responded. The rescue team located the group about a mile up from the trailhead. So this trailhead, it's probably about a mile and a half to the summit, so he was probably pretty close to the, the summit of Black Cap. Um, the call came in at 7 p.m., and uh, they reached him at 9.30, and unfortunately, he um, not a lot of information. The man's name hasn't been released or anything like that, but the um, you know, thoughts and prayers definitely go out to the family. It's something we talk about quite a bit here is that, you know, sometimes these medical emergencies happen and there's not a lot that can, can be done. Busy busy, huh?
0: Yeah, crazy
2: busy. So so many. Um, we'll do one or two more here, Stomp, and then we'll, we'll save the rest for next week. But this is July 5th. A uh, report of an injured hiker came in from Beaver Brook Trailhead. So 47-year-old woman, local from New Hampshire, had suffered a lower leg injury um, coming down from Mount Musilaki. She was 2.2 miles from the trailhead, um, unable to continue without assistance. Uh, Pemi Valley Search and Rescue Conservation Officers um, or had reached her by 5:15. So call came in at 2:45. They get there by 5:15. They were able to stabilize her and bring her down 2.2 miles. That must have been brutal um, for for people that aren't familiar. Beaver Brook Trail is brutal. It's got like um, stairs hammered into the the rocks. It's got rungs and ladders that are rung in there. So it's it's got to be insane to bring somebody down that and and to add to it. It was super rainy out, and uh, not a good not a good day to be out there.
1: Right. Yeah. Just wet conditions. Have you, ever, you guys wrong. ever done
2: a rescue on Beaver Stomp?
1: Yeah, probably like three or four times over the last two years. Oftentimes late at night. Yeah, it's a
2: tough uh, tough area there. So, good job for the. Um, the rescue team and then i think stomp we will hold off on the rest of these there's a couple more that are newer Carter Mariah are falling waters and well sticky but we'll push those to next week's episode and call this a wrap because we're getting up on two hours at this point good show welcome back nice job yeah welcome back Davey. thank you for joining us and steve thanks for joining us what do you think davy Your first podcast did you like it
4: yeah, you guys are awesome. It's uh, I, I really enjoy the uh, uh, just the the conversation. It's uh, it was very relaxing, and uh, you know, one thing uh, I, w- I will say is I have had the opportunity to eat it at Reckless a couple times, and uh, it was very good food. <laughs> I, go. I think maybe you guys should talk a little bit more about the food as well because it's uh, uh, we had a uh, very good experiences there after a hike. So I, I do appreciate uh, I do appreciate that.
3: Yeah, you know what? Happy to hear it, man. You know
2: what's unbelievable there, Davey, is um, if you haven't had this, this is my suggestion: is they have something that like it's a combination that like should exist, but it doesn't exist anywhere else. That I can't. They make the grilled cheese sandwich, and I think they use mozzarella cheese, and it has the marinara sauce. So it's grilled cheese, but it's got the marinara sauce. Like that's such a great combination, but I've never seen that anywhere else. But at Reckless,
4: I will definitely try it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's good. So let's so let's end the show on that tasty note.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Yum.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff
1: wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever.
0: Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three roads to describe this race. And we know what they are?
3: Here's Lieutenant James Nealon from New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire?
1: It seems to me the most common is being
3: unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, Hikesafe.com and got a list of the ten essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.